It's the lens, it's the lens, it's the lens, gotta live diverse. It's the lens, it's the lens, it's the lens, live diverse. You're listening to The Lens, Living Diverse, a podcast brought to you by the CNIB GTA Advocacy Team. Join Nisha and I while we talk to individuals who are part of the sight loss community and speak about the intersecting identities as well as the unique experiences. In today's episode, you're going to meet your two hosts, myself and Nisha, where we're going to let the audience know about our different identities and intersectionalities. Nisha, it's uh, our first episode. Aren't you excited? Yeah, let's do this. I'm pumped. Yeah, letting the audience get to know a little bit about us. And it's really cool to do this in our episode to, to just know about the, the hosts and our backgrounds when it comes to diversity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so and then let me start this off. Actually, I... Let me ask you this question. So mm. tell the, the audience a little bit about yourself and uh, what intersectionalities you live with. Hi, everyone. This is Nisha. Uh, it's great to be here. Uh, so a little bit about myself. Well, I am a Black female in my late 30s. I do have sight loss. Um, my eye conditions are glaucoma and cataracts. In my left eye, I'm left with just light perception and in my right eye uh it's pretty blurry i can't make out details but i can see certain colors and certain shapes my background is trinidadian my parents are from the beautiful twin islands of trinidad and tobago i grew up in canada so i am a first generation canadian i grew up in the east end of Toronto. I'm a Scarborough girl, born and raised. Love, love my city, love my my hometown. And I am really happy to be here. Also, I forgot, sorry, <laughs> I am the coordinator for advocacy and community outreach for CNIB, representing the GTA and Ontario East. So I work with clients um, with their one-on-one individual advocacy concerns, as well as this wonderful CNIB ambassadors from the GTA to Ontario East. And that's a little bit about me. And as today's episode goes on, you'll learn more and more about me as well. I'm very excited to to learn more about you for sure, Nisha. And yeah, just already your introduction, just hearing your story about uh, your sight loss and uh, uh, your background as well. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Yeah, so I guess going into me, uh, I, I hate the spotlight on myself. No, you don't. <laughs> uh, so um, as I made mention at the beginning of the episode, my name is Ben. I am currently the program lead of advocacy, accessibility, and community engagement. That's definitely a mouthful. Uh, for myself, I'm a black male, dark skin, and I'm an individual who, of course, lives with sight loss, um, retinitis pigmentosa. I was diagnosed at two years old. So uh, just those intersectionalities, I also am uh, a social worker, registered social worker. 
I went to school for my SSW, which is social service working, as well as a bachelor's of social work. And I'm currently doing uh, my MSW. So just a, just a bunch of different aspects, a uh, part of my life and living this awesome life. So you know what, let's, let's get a little more detailed into, into our experiences to show the audience and let the audience know. So even with uh, yourself, Nisha, have you ever felt that your intersectionalities clashed as being a Black woman as well as having sight loss? Great question. Um, in the early part of my life, I would say no. But in the last five years, I would say yes. And the reason being is that for most of my life, I was a high partial, meaning that I did not use a white cane or a guide dog. The only way that you would have known that I had sight loss or some kind of eye condition was if you were a close family member or a friend because I wore really thick glasses as a child. Um, but then when I was out and about in the community, I would wear my contacts. So I was able to pretty much hide that part of myself uh, when I was outside of my, my home and, and away from those who knew me best. So for majority of my life, I was just, you know, a black woman. That part of my life, I can't hide. Mm -hmm. I'm a, I'm a dark-skinned yeah. black woman, nor would I want to hide it. But it wasn't until um, back in 2017 when I lost the majority of my sight after an eye surgery and I had to use a white cane that I now had the identities of both my sight loss and being a Black female um, out in the community for everyone to see. And I would have to say, yeah, it was, it was a challenge at times in, you know, whether it be training with O&M or uh, whether it be interactions within the sight loss community, I felt like I had, I had to choose at times um, who I was, what part of myself need to represent, be represented first. And I, I did struggle at, at times um, with it because being of Trinidadian descent, um, there are some cultural things that come with sight loss that are stigmatized. And, uh, you know, it wasn't really, my family did not know how to, how to deal with it because back home in Trinidad, those individuals with sight loss, you don't really see them. You know, they stay home, they're very much sheltered and protected. But here in Canada, we have a lot more freedom, a lot more um, supports inside the home and outside the home. And it was hard really juggling the two at the start of my sight loss journey. My family didn't quite understand um, how to embrace it, how to take it, but eventually, you know, they're now totally on board and, and, and very proud of me and, uh, and open to, to all aspects mm -hmm. of me as well as myself. I am open to me as, as well. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that perspective. It, it evolved to, to that, that acceptance, right? That's, mm -hmm. Yeah, I could totally imagine. And I, I could identify with that too. Using that word, 
choose, choose your identity. And I know uh, there's some listeners who are probably thinking like choosing your identity. Why do you have to choose? Aren't you who you are? But yeah, you, you bring up a very good point about that where you do have to choose for sure. Yeah. Like I could totally identify and emphasize for that. Like even for myself being Ghanaian West African and having both my parents born in, in Ghana, where I was born in Canada, I was still really involved in the culture. So uh, I, if you look around my place, I do have little bits of my culture and I'm so proud to be, to be a Ghana boy. That's, <laughs> that's what we say, a Ghana boy. And, and I, I love it. Like, even when I did visit back in 2011, I was just like, I just love the motherland. I love back home. Mm -hmm. And it almost feels sometimes because the culture doesn't really highlight disability. And you could definitely jump in as well and, and kind of let the listeners know about the Trinidad or, yeah, the Trinidad culture. Uh, like with us individuals from Ghana, it was almost like if you live with a disability, it was seen as as a curse and you'd have to be prayed for. And if you're back in the, the motherland, the motherland of Ghana, <laughs> you would um, you'd be stuck at home. You it wouldn't even be thought of to go out by yourself or utilize what we have here, the resources we have here and the supports we have here. So it's almost choosing, am I, am I actually uh, a black male Ghanaian or am, do I have to choose to be blind? Because both of those intersectionalities don't, aren't supported as much, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I know for in Trinidad, what they have is they have a basket making or basket weaving program. So when you have sight loss, you spend your days Monday through Friday at a program where you make baskets. And then after that, you just go home. But that, that this program is strictly for those, from what I know, for those with sight loss. So when you go home, you're just at home. Your family tends to do everything for you. You're, you're not really seen in public independently unless you are are with somebody uh, so yeah that's what it's it's like there so to come to be here and I'm telling my family after my sight loss oh, I'm gonna go get a job and they're like oh well can you do that like how will you do that you know like, like oh I'm traveling you could do that uh, you should go with somebody <laughs> you know it's just because from what they see, it people with sight loss are are codependent, right? So, yeah, I, I'm glad that we're breaking down those those uh, stereotypes. Totally, totally. It's it's funny that we're talking about travel. Like it was once upon a time, um, my family members were like, "You can't. How can you even cross the road, let alone going anywhere by yourself?" So. Mm -hmm. It, it's definitely important to have that education side to it where uh, us as advocates and 
advocates to our communities can say, hey, here's me with sight loss as, as like I said, Ghana boy <laughs> with sight loss, or here's me as a African Canadian with sight loss and look at what I'm doing. It, it, it's not associated with being cursed or, or hindered for having sight loss, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, look at all that you're doing with your masters and, and your home and, you know, your, your proof that you can, you could do anything, you know, yeah. as long as you put your mind to it, anything is possible. And, and same with your work ethic and your, your planning and the goals that you have set and everything that you're doing at the CNIB. So mm-hmm. I feel the same way. I, a, a great role model to to those individuals who can share similar intersectionality. So that even goes into the next question that I have for you, Nisha, is with yourself growing up as a Black uh, female with sight loss, did you ever have a role model that you could look up to? No, and it's not because there weren't any out there it's because of like I said before I was a high partial so I didn't really feel like I belonged to the sight loss community growing up um, because I was using contacts and glasses not that I ever felt excluded or no one embraced me it's just at that time I didn't think I needed um, you know the sight loss community so I wasn't actively looking for someone for me to look up to to you know help me help me understand what I was going through it wasn't until I was in you know like I said my 30s when I started to go on my sight loss journey uh, that I was actively seeking you know who out there represents me who can I you know um, reach out to connect with um, you know to figure out what's going on um, in my life and, and what this new uh, chapter in my life is going to look like. And honestly, I couldn't find anyone. That, <laughs> it was like finding a needle in a haystack. The struggle was definitely real uh, during this time. And it wasn't even just finding a role model. It was finding people, uh, let's say nationality as me, people of color, just to relate to and connect with and, and feel like I could share you know, what I was going through because, you know, they would probably have similar experiences like myself. And, and that was hard. I would attend community groups and no one looked like me. I would attend, you know, Braille writing or O&M and ILS and no one looked like me. And this went on for about a year or so. I even went up to Lake Joe and no one looked like me. So I was like, oh my gosh, where are all the black people? <laughs> you know, I was like, I can't find anyone who's black with sight loss. Like, what's going on? Um, so <laughs> eventually I, I did, I did start to meet people and started to connect, um, you know, with members of my community who are, who are black. Uh, and, you know, I, I, and I connected with people who are, you know, not black as, as well. I made some really great friends um, in the sight loss community in general, black, white, Asian, what have you. I've made some really great friends, but in the beginning, it was really hard. And as for role models, I find that my friends in the community, they're my role models, like you and some of the other people I've connected with, those 
those are my role models because they they encourage me, they push me to, you know, uh, to be better and to be strong and, and confident. So I'm not looking for a social media figure or someone out there that I probably would never be able to talk to or connect with. It's just those who are closest to me. Uh, those are my role models. Those are the people that I, I look up to. That's, that's awesome. And you're hyping me up too too much today. My head's oh, not going to be able gosh. to go through my doorway for all the nice things that that you're saying to me. I, I wish us working together was always like this, you know, where you... <laughs> <laughs> but even all seriousness like mm. just hearing your journey about uh seeking out other people who do look like you and have the same similar experiences as you I could totally relate to you uh when you do mention finding and seeking and looking and 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 it's almost a part of you is missing because you're always like I'm the only one Mm-hmm. And the thing that boggles my mind is the fact that looking at it hindsight now, looking back, there is so many people who who have sight loss, who are different intersectionalities, different races, just different. But it was just so interesting how it wasn't a way to find those those people where. Mm-hmm. That person could have even lived down the road from you or that person could have been going to the same events as you and you just never, never really found that person. So it it makes me wonder, like, I think to myself, what was that reason? Like, why wasn't it there? Yeah. And no, I I would throw it to you for sure. Let, Let me know if you do have the answer. I think the answer for for me, and this is just what I've noticed, is that the events and the activities that were out there for our community, our community, I mean, the sight loss community, our community, the Black community, we couldn't relate to them. That's what I am thinking. Because like you said, something really interesting is that, you know, there are people who live down the street from you who have sight loss, who might be people of color. And that is, that is true. There are people in this area where I am in right now um, who are people of color who have sight loss. And I never met them at any community events. Why? Because I think the events that were being offered didn't reflect all aspects of our community. And if they're not doing that, then people are not going to come. And it's not just people of color, it's, you know, different age groups as well. You know, if the activities or what's going on are not representing all demographics of the sight loss community, then you won't be able to meet all demographics <laughs> of the sight loss community, right? So, totally so, get you. Right. It might be a bit controversial saying it, but that's what I um, perceived when um, I was, you know, trying to figure out where do I belong? What is it I want to do? Where is it I want to go? You know? Yeah. And it's definitely those layers because uh, the organizations that we have for, for certain aspects of our, our identities of sight loss, of being, being colored, of uh, our cultures, 
uh, for some instance, religions, but other instances, uh, just regions of the world and different diversities. Sometimes you just need to see them interact to actually mm -hmm. feel apart. So e even for myself growing up as a young black male, I even just me as a person in general, there, there was interests that I did. Like I, I love basketball. I love track and field. I loved different sports. I, I love music. I love my hip hop music. I love my Afrobeat music. I even like my, my uh, classical rock and roll music. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, and just, I would have loved to see myself represented for sure. Yeah. Like, as easy as seeing someone who who was colored who did have sight loss and going into using a cane i'm going to use that as an example of using a cane as a young black male and we were talking about role models as a young black male you sometimes depending on who you are you look at role models in the media so you look at, um, since I'm a big basketball fan, you look at these cool basketball players. Um, you look at these actors are just cool. They they have swag, you know, you have um, oh. entertainers with just swag and they're just so <laughs> cool. And you're just like, I want to be just like the people on TV. I want to be like the Jay-Z's, you know what I mean? The mm -hmm. the Nas's and the Nelly's and Ja Rule's and all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. but you would just never see them walk out. Like, can you imagine a rapper walking out with a cane? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the vulnerability yeah. of these tough guys and you mix that in with uh, being a black male and toxic masculinity and being the man and being so tough and, and having no weaknesses and you're walking around with a cane. Mm -hmm. So as a young man, how am I going to identify with that? Like, I don't feel that's me, you know? I, I don't want people to know my vulnerability because as we, we can't sugarcoat this, if you do have sight loss, it's some sort form of vulnerability. It's some sort of sharing with the world that I have sight loss and I do not fit into the regular norm of society or at least the old regular norm of society. So mm -hmm. just to have that vulnerability when you're supposed to be tough, when you're supposed to be a man, you, when you look on TV and it's all these guys who are just tough, no one, no one cries, no one lets the weakness out. It, it definitely just contrasted who I was. And at the beginning, you made mention on how you hid your, your sight loss. For me, I felt like I had to hide it. I had no choice. That was that was a coping mechanism or mm. I would get picked on or I would be told that I'm not really black. I'd be be not fit in with my my fellow fellow uh, friends and family members. And it was almost like no choice but to hide that part mm. of my identity, especially when uh, the one thing, and let me know if you could identify this. When you're in a group of people who have the same similarities, you're more comfortable. Yeah, if, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you could share your experiences with that, Nisha, if you'd like. 
Well, I find that when I'm in a group of people, you know, who have sight loss, various degrees of sight loss, I, I don't feel like a burden, you know, when I am with my sighted friends, sometimes I wonder, okay, am I holding them back? Um, do they wish that they didn't have to give me so much direction, so much instruction? And sometimes I feel that I don't hang out with them as much because I wonder if they even want to be around me some of the time. You know, it's, it's nothing to do with them. It's mostly to do with, with me and, you know, my insecurities. But when I'm with my, my you know, my posse, that's my sight loss posse, uh, I, am, I am my most comfortable. I am my most confident. And it's not just because we all have sight loss. It's just because of how amazing they are. It, it, it strives and it makes me want to, you know, reach their level of, you know, awesomeness as well. And also I'm the type of person, you know, this about me. I love training. I love improving and, you know, so I, I get to, you know, get tips and tricks from them. So that way, when I am on my own independently, I, you know, can, can flourish in whatever it is that I'm doing. So yeah, I hope that answers uh, your question. What, what about you? What, what do you think? For myself, it's definitely group of numbers. And we all are human beings, for sure. And I remember having a conversation with a friend a little bit ago, and being a trailblazer is, is hard. <laughs> no doubt about it. We, we all, sometimes we have that perception in our mind where we're like, if you want to get something done, you have to be the first one to do it. You have to, mm-hmm. you have to be out there, and you have to break ground, and you have to put the flag in into the ground and be the first. But it yeah. can be very exhausting, a lot mm-hmm. of shaky ground. And mm-hmm. it's it's almost where an example for, let me use the example of, of shaving for young men with sight loss. You're a person who, who shaves and, and all that. And you could get advice from maybe someone who doesn't have the same same kind of texture of hair. So I'm, I'm a black male, my hair's uh, curly. It could be coarse, right? And if you're asking advice from someone who just has straight hair and it's not the fault of that person, but they could suggest, oh, like just use a straight razor. But mm-hmm. for black folk, we use a straight razor and you're getting razor bumps for days. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, I know that, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, as a, a black male, if you use a straight razor, you're getting razor bumps on your face for sure. Mm. So even just to have someone who's familiar with that, the, mm. the one thing I remember as a young man and when I um, went to school all the way up north, I me- remember looking for a barber because <laughs> you would be, this is uh this is Radio City, no one can see me, but my lineup just gets <laughs> really bad. Uh, and for those who don't know what a lineup is, it's the hairline. And sometimes it could grow lower than than usual. And if you're, you're going bald, it could recede, right? <laughs> so uh, pretty much with uh, going to up north and going to school, I remember looking for a barber. And I remember people would give me suggestions and I'll walk in and it would be a barber, uh, a white barber. And 
I'm not saying like, oh, like, like, whatever, but there's people who don't know how to cut black hair and are not familiar in the way of cutting black hair. And I remember it was a lady who was just very nervous about cutting my hair. And you could tell because for someone who goes to a barber, just by the way someone holds the razor and the way they put it against your, your skull, you could tell that they're nervous. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I could tell she was so nervous. I got out of the chair and this is when I was high pressure. So I had more sight. It, mm-hmm. it was a horror. It wasn't a good job. Mm. And that's an example of sometimes you just have to be aware or live a part of that demographic to understand. Mm-hmm. And there's people who are like, what's a lineup? And oh, you, you could just go there to do it. It's like you don't understand. So that's why being around people you are familiar with, it can be beneficial. And I'm not saying to listeners to just be friends with people that are just like you. No, 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 no. I am saying that it's advantageous to to still be involved in in your your community, whether what kind of intersectionality is, or even touching base. It's it's important to have everybody, but just to that strength of having familiarity, like similarities. There we go. So definitely uh, I would promote for that and yeah even your examples Nisha worked very well with uh, what I'm saying mm-hmm. definitely I, I totally agree I mean you know for me it's a bit it's I am now starting well not now starting but I have been on my site loss journey for a couple of years now and um it's been it's been a challenge it's been rewarding it's been it's been um it's had its ups and downs um but i agree it's it's you should not you know just surround yourself with just the people that share your disability you know the way we're going to achieve inclusion is by you know getting involved and and putting our ourselves out there so that's something that I am working on <laughs> you know <laughs> I am trying to uh, get better at it but um, it's taking me some time <laughs> I, I totally I totally agree with you on that so question for you Ben mm-hmm. what can be done to celebrate both of your intersectionalities great question Nisha great question I Yeah, honestly, I love how you asked that question because people don't really ask that too much. People think Mm -hmm. that you're either on side A or side B. Like if you're you're a black dude, you celebrate this. If you're a person with sight loss, you celebrate this. So I believe a great way to celebrate both intersectionalities is to, to incorporate them in in any activities or events that we do. So mm-hmm. a, a beautiful thing, we have Black History Month coming up in February and such a, an important day to, to just all individuals to learn about the histories of uh, Black individuals and the contributions that these individuals have done for the existence of the world, right? Just like mm-hmm. everybody else. So. 
as a Black person looking at uh, Black history, just to incorporate highlighting individuals who may have had a disability and who overcame the disabilities while making history at the same time, uh, to have events where maybe they focus on Black history, but to have uh, accessibility in their events mm -hmm. where they consider you as a, a person with sight loss. So if they have pictures of uh, historical figures, they're able to describe it to you instead of putting on the the screen here's the historical figures so you're invited invited to those spaces and you feel mm -hmm. that you're accepted in those spaces and then even vice versa like when you have organizations that do deal with disabilities at the same time it's like okay we have a holiday so for example although i'm i'm not a south asian but Diwali or, or Chinese New Year's or Eid to have those reminders or have celebrations of the different events and things that are going on to be like, okay, although we're an organization that deals with this disability, we're still aware of your, your culture. We're still aware of uh who you are as a person. So you don't necessarily have to let go of both your intersectionalities. So yeah. uh, that's- It goes back to what you said about, about inclusion, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's about it being, our world being inclusive all around. That's the best way to celebrate both of our intersectionalities, not having to, like we said earlier, having to choose, am I a black woman today? and I have to put my cane away and no one can know that I have sight loss or, um, well, I can't put my blackness away. So <laughs> am I taking out my cane today and representing, uh, you know, both my blackness and my white cane, but you're only seeing my white cane. You're not seeing, you know, my, my blackness because you're focused too much on, on my cane. So that, that could possibly, you know, happen as well. Um, I think for me, uh, I to piggyback on what you were saying, I would like to see that whenever I'm out in the community, regardless of what it is I'm doing, that I could just be myself and not hide. I remember last summer, I was going on a boat cruise with a couple of my girlfriends. It was a Caribbean uh, boat ride where they had music and dancing and, you know, libations and um there were a couple of us who had sight loss and there were a couple of us who were who were sighted and one of the girls who had sight loss it was her first time going on a boat cruise she has her white cane and she's like oh she asked me and the other girl where are your canes and we said oh they're in the car and we had this whole debate for a good maybe half an <laughs> hour about well why aren't you bringing your cane what if you need to go to the bathroom what if you want to go get a drink or get some food? Can't you use your cane to get around? And we're all saying, well, no, we can't because there are people be dancing and jumping and, and talking. The music will be loud that no one would be paying attention to our white canes. And she's like, well, if we bring it and we introduce it, then they will get used to it. 
uh, and we're both saying now is not the time <laughs> to be introducing <laughs> people to the cane. But really, mm-hmm. when is the right time? You know, will there ever be a perfect time, right? So all this to say is like, you know, I would love to be able to celebrate all my intersectionalities uh, and not have to, if I wanted to, put my cane in my pocket and when I needed it, I would take it out. And the only way this can be done is if we are out there more, if we are consistent with our appearances, if we are consistent with where we show up in the world, you know, and that way, the more we are seen, the more we are out there, then people will be like, oh, someone's coming with a white cane. I'll just step aside. Oh, I see someone who looks like they're lost. They have a guide dog. Let me go over, gently tap them on the shoulder, introduce myself and assist them. They will become familiar with the ways in which to assist, to properly provide sighted guide, to properly provide assistance. And that way it's just natural. And we will all just breeze through the world perfectly. In the perfect world, that's how I see things operating. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. With time, we'll get there. I, I totally agree. And and it's so funny how uh, it was making mention of educating people even when you're going on a boat cruise. Because mm-hmm. for some reason, I'm imagining people thinking, when you educate someone about sight loss in those um, certain events or circumstances, you pull out a PowerPoint, you pull out a portable <laughs> TV, and you're like, okay, so we're going to go through sighted guide today. We're going to go through uh, etiquette and all that stuff, right? But It's like um, before you get on the plane, these are the exits, <laughs> right? When you're getting on the plane, this is how you put on your mask before you get on the boat ride. Okay, this is a cane, and this is a guide dog. Look out for these objects. If you need assistance, this is what you do, you know? Mm-hmm. That. yeah right we, all yeah. that doesn't need to happen it's just the more we're out there the more people will become educated exactly yeah. and then self self-advocacy it's it's simple sometimes just by you having that confidence and shout out to a friend who who has a great saying saying confidence is attractive <laughs> confidence is very attractive and just having that confidence and own okay I got this cane okay I'm wearing this I, I look good like that really resonates and it goes back to I know I was saying about how exhausting trailblazing is but it goes back to trailblazing because you hit the nail right on the head Disha when you made mention when people see it the more people will see it the more it becomes normalized in mm-hmm. a person's head. So really great point. The more you go, the more you own it with a cane, uh, the more you dress dress just good already. And not that mm-hmm. if you don't dress good, you're any different, but the more you just be yourself while having that cane or while living with sight loss and using equipment and technology, the more you resonate for, with people. Right. And people will, people will come out the woodshed for sure. So thank you for sharing that story, Nisha. Okay, so I am going to ask the last question uh, for sure. Is there any resources that you have to offer for both your intersectionalities? Um, 
any resources that I have to offer for both my intersectionalities. Um, I am like a resource junkie. I love, you know, like I said, professional development resources, just figuring things out. So some of the people that I looked up to, uh, I watch a lot of YouTube videos. So there's a Toronto-based YouTuber uh, named Alicia and um, uh, Alicia's Guide. And uh, I will actually, I'll link her information in the show notes, but she deals a lot. She has star guards and she deals a lot with, you know, day-to-day living with, with star guards. And, you know, she has some great videos on, um, you know, how she does her online shopping, how she, how she does shopping in public in general, how she is active using her phone, using her iPhone, using her Mac computer, um, so that's some that's someone that I uh, I definitely like to to get information from um, when I am you know kind of trying to figure things out with cooking with shopping with living healthy lifestyle uh, with being active things of that nature. Um, Black Voices United that group has been instrumental um, <laughs> in in my life in the last whoa like almost what two years now. Um, you know, with the professional development work that we do, the mental health discussions uh, that we have, just the overall, you know, fun um, that the group brings to, to my life um, and the resources and connections and networking uh, that we do within the group has just been um, instrumental um, as well. Uh, so along with a few podcasts that I listen to, which, you know, as this podcast goes on, I'm sure I will name drop and provide information on those when it's relevant. But those are the two that are the biggest um, tools I use right now in my life. So Alicia's Guide on YouTube and our monthly Black Voices United meeting. What about you, Ben? What are your yeah definitely i I love those resources that you recommended uh for myself i'm not going to get too specific with the resources but i'm i'm gonna kind of throw both of us (laughs) under the bus uh, not under the bus but uh both of us where i i definitely believe that we're great resources uh to just how to to be as a person right just Yeah, just to how to be as a person, and it's it's totally fine to to have these intersectionalities, and it's totally fine to ask these questions. And also, instead of more so resources, even a piece of advice uh, for anybody who does live with um, similar identities that we have is with the organizations that you're part of, don't be afraid to to mix them up, because I feel like just having these different identities, it's it's like cooking, you know what I mean? You, mm-hmm. you gotta throw these different parts in, in the pot to create um, who you are as a person, right? So you do deserve to, to mix those in those organizations, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. just not to be afraid to say, okay, if I'm a part of uh, this organization or if I have this identity, what does it look like when I mix this identity in, right? Mm-hmm. What does, uh, I don't know, like entertainment or challenging music 
bringing us different style. So for me, as someone who who makes hip hop music, it's okay to mix in. You know what? I'm gonna throw in some lyrics about having sight loss. It's perfectly fine. Like that's a beautiful perspective, and that's a perspective that someone will appreciate. So don't be afraid to throw in your your identity to your different perspectives for sure. And I'm I'm gonna kind of piggyback off of what you said with Black Voices United. It's a really amazing. Um, it's a really amazing resource to have and. Even we're going to probably mention it a little bit later on, our diversity and inclusion page is a great resource. And just even individuals at the CNIB, like we're very open to ever ask questions when you do want to know about your different intersects. So uh, that's where I feel a very great resources for sure. Awesome. Yeah. I like those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, Hey, you don't need all these books taking up a bookshelf. All you have to do nope. is just yell out your window, stick your head out the window and be like, see an IB advocacy team, help me out. Okay. Wow. No. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So Noah, wait, what what coming to an end? So Noah, Nisha, any last thoughts that you want to give the audience? This was an amazing episode where we got to to bear it all to our to our audience members. Yeah, I am just thank you so much, Ben, for putting this together. I am so happy that I get to be a part of this uh, journey with you. I'm looking forward and stay tuned, everyone. We're going to have some great uh, guests, great conversations with, you know, members of the community, different intersectionalities. And uh, yeah, and hopefully you get to know me and I get to know you as time goes on yeah and, and honestly i just want to say uh for those listeners celebrate who you are celebrate mm -hmm. all parts of you like i said it, it's like a recipe it's different pieces of you and i'm so excited for this podcast and to have our different guests and to to gain different perspectives and and i i forgot to ask you this question nisha throughout the podcast what do you think about the theme song what do you think about that theme song you know, it's all right, but that guy on there, his voice is really weird. Uh, I'm just kidding. It's awesome. Uh, I love it. It's, uh, it's hip. It's funky. I definitely send them a memo. So, Nisha, can you hit the audience with the what they got to go do? Okay. Well, I want to thank everyone for listening to our inaugural episode of the Lens Living Diverse podcast. Please feel free to visit our diversity and inclusion page on the CIB website. The link to the website will be in the show notes below. And make sure you rate and subscribe to the Lens Living Diverse on all your favorite streaming platforms. Thank Any you. Any last words? Yeah, all I gotta say is thank you everybody for joining us on the Lens. I'm once again your host, Ben. And I'm your co-host, Nisha. Take care, everybody. Peace. Bye.